my dad, Mark Barkowski. Mark worked 40 plus years in the coal mining industry where he be became a titan in the industry. He had a very successful career taking distressed operations and through the implementation of his management program and processes would turn them around into thriving and successful operations. I was blessed enough to be a part of his most successful turnaround where he took a bankrupt mining company in British Columbia and within two years turned it into a thriving billion dollar operation while, while adding 900 jobs to the local community and revitalizing the entire region. He always integrated his strong Christian values into the fabric of every operation he was running. He saw each mining operation as a platform to be used for a higher initiative to impact people and to sow seeds. Early in his career, he adopted the word integrity as his mantra and lived out its meaning in everything that he did. He is a published author with a three book series called The Integrity Series, detailing and applying his management system into a business setting. He has a bachelor's and master's in mining engineering from Virginia Tech and received the Distinguished Alumni Award in 2019. He and my mom raised six kids and well, only one of them turned out okay. <laughs> yeah, I won't answer that. They were always very involved with their local church and we were also, and were also very involved in numerous kingdom projects. He is my mentor, my role model, and is the reason I am the man I am today. Please join me in extending a, a great <laughs> thank you to my dad. <laughs> He didn't get that gene from his mom, so you're going to probably see it again tonight. I, I want to, it's a very much of an honor to share, because what I want to share tonight is I prayed, I said, Lord, tell me what I, I didn't want to come to entertain, although I'll tell you a couple stories of what I screwed up, and you'll, you'll laugh, but I came because I want to challenge each one of you guys here, guys and gals here tonight, and, and I got some grandkids in the audience too. I passed out a piece of paper. There's a pen on the back of your chair. And, and that's it if it helps you take a few notes. And there maybe the Lord's going to touch something I said to kind of challenge yourself. Because what I'd like to think is with, from this evening that you can take a whole bunch of stories that I'll try to run, not run rabbit trails down places that don't work, but we're gonna, we'll, run, we'll have rabbits scattered everywhere before the evening's over. But I want to challenge you in a way to convince you that you are a very, very investable project. God created each one of you guys differently. And so when we talk about trophies and we talk about the goals that you're going to have toward the end of your career and as you look back and you look at your family, you can't judge it against somebody else. You can't look at your trophy room compared to mine and say, well, he's more successful than mine. What I want to challenge you, though, is, is God has a plan and a unique plan for each one. And as I go through kind of how I break down and I look at it, my wife is going to very quickly say, you're warped. Don't try to get them to think like you because I'm very intense. I'm very passionate. Everything that I believe, I believe God is sending me down as a challenge down that avenue. And as we talk about seasons in our life and how each one of those things kick in, it very much joins into what I call, how do we build a trophy room? How do, you, how do you plan that trophy room? Because if you don't plan it, Satan's going to steer you. You're going you're gonna to deviate, and you're not going to get where, where you're supposed to be or what you can be. 
So I want to start off by, by Psalms 37, and it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So you will live in the land and enjoy the security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He didn't say he will give you your desires of your heart. It's not what he said. He said he will give you the desires of your heart. And I'm going to, my little translation, and I've got a bunch of my translations in here. Margie's, Margie's my, my prayer warrior, and she says, Mark, I think you might be missing it a little bit there. But I said, you know, that's what God and I have this relationship that he's going to help me figure this thing out. And what he tells me is when he says the desires, that means a communal desire with him. If my heart is right with God, then my desires are going to be right. And if my desires are right, how do you feel about your child? If your child comes up and asks you for a gift, you want to see a radiance of them. You want to see them happy. You want to see them feel like they've been blessed. And I think that's where the Lord is with us. Now, maybe that's my way of justifying my hunting, and maybe that is. I don't know. But I like it. It's, it's, to me, it, it's, it stands strong. But it has to be in balance. So as we talk tonight about building a trophy room, and I want, to talk, I want to start off by saying, how would you define the word trophy? If I ask you, and we're not, well, I'm, going to, I'm going to work on my time here, so we're, going to, we're going to not going to spend the time there. But if I ask you to define the word trophy, here's what I would say. I would say that it is the prize for passionately accomplishing a goal. And I say passionate because each one of you all, the way you're built, there's going to be something inside of you that's going to wake up and something's going to happen. You're going to go, man, I really want to go after that. You're going to see a show or you're going to talk to somebody or you're going to see somebody in a performance do something and something that's going to quick inside of you. And that's the Holy Spirit a lot of times telling you that's a passion there. And that was a God-given passion. So when I look at my trophy room and I sit back, and, and sometimes I get a chance to do that, I sit back at my desk and I just look up at, at some of these different adventures of a lifetime that what I've got a chance to have uh, gone on, I realized that those are, that was a passion in my life, that I worked after those things as long as we do that in balance. Okay, the next slide. So when, when I talk about building a trophy room and I talk about the things that go into it, again, I want to make sure that I, again, couch the fact that it's not a pride thing. If I'm proudful of that trophy room, the, it, it's temporal. It, it could burn down tomorrow, and I've lost my trophies. But you can't take a trophy out of your heart whenever you've truly built it in the right way. So when I look at a trophy room, what I'm saying is, Lord, help me balance my life that that will just be one of the fruits out of it. The stats show that about 90% of everybody in here and in the world, we plan to fail. You say, well, that's a pretty cold way to say it. Well, that's the truth. 10% of us plan to succeed. The neat part about it is about 90% of those that plan to succeed, succeed to different levels. But it requires each one of us stepping out and creating a plan. It just doesn't happen. These, we have life that has gotten so busy and so many different things going on. And what happens is, as we get a year down the road and we look back and we say, what happened last year? I survived. I don't think God calls us to survive. He called us to thrive. He called us to share. He called us to be passionate about what we do. So whether I'm going to stand up here and tell you about stories about coal mining or I'm going to talk about the hunting scene or we talk about the family, whatever we talk about, be passionate of whatever it is. Say, Lord, in the season of my life that I am right now, what can I do to show the light out there? 
You got people that'll come and listen for a hunting story. I got people, I got universities that love for me to come in and talk about business rebuilds. I don't care what platform it takes for me to get a chance to be up here and say, let me show you what my Lord did. Because when you're committed to realize how unique you are, you guys, if there's 150 people here, you're going to get a chance to talk to people that all never meet. So if I could encourage you in anything is to be what God built you to be. Look for these different avenues. And, w- and whenever I start to look at it, I say, I say there's five parts of my life and I'm going cons- to run them congruently together. The first is spiritual. I have a responsibility to the Lord to have a spiritual relationship with him. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. world. But that's one thing. So I need to have a goal for my spiritual side. The second thing is, is a family commitment. I have a responsibility to my wife. We've been married 44 years. She's a heavy one to carry. But I've done it. She can't talk right now. This is a beautiful thing. She, she's a prayer angel, and she was God's gift to me many years ago. And i got to return her back one day, and I'm going to do that. So that's, that's a responsibility I have. But there has to be goals that go with that to make sure that I am who I'm supposed to be. Same with our children. We raised five natural children, and we had one that the Lord gave us to an adoption. Well, from a mission strip we went on, and we have five beautiful children, plus we have the sixth. We have six. I didn't realize a quiver was six, but I learned real quickly that that's what it was for us. And out of those six children, what our life's goal was, was to put back into those children. Put back in a level of integrity. Cody talked about that's kind of the, what we shared. We developed a family mission statement many years ago. And we developed this statement that this is what our family was going to be about. We've got it on the wall in the house, and it talks about integrity, and it talks about all those values in there. And two years ago, all six of my kids now are married and have families of their own, and they're all serving the Lord, and, and it's a really neat, and I don't get me started on all that, although I will show the picture. So, so that's the picture of our family, and uh, so that's 16 grandkids, and, and the this, this six six kids on one side, and then the six that they brought in with us, so we've got a big group. But one of the neatest things that ever, to me, is, is a legacy guy, and that's, I speak a lot about legacy, was they gave us this plaque two years ago, and each one of the families wrote what their family mission statements were. And I'll just happen to read somebody that you may know, um, Cody and Amanda. As a family, we will strive to stay God-centered and spirit-led while enjoying the adventures of life growing together daily to spread his love outwardly using the blessings and the gifts bestowed upon us to advance his kingdom. A little bit different than ours, but it's theirs. And what we wanted to do with our six children as they raised their families is give them an inheritance that they could start building what we're talking about tonight. Build a legacy. Build a, build a trophy room that, that says who they are. When you come in my office and you look at this trophy room and I guess, uh, let's see, no, wait a minute, i got a couple more things before we go to that. Um, but when you look at the trophy room, what, what blows people away is they say, God, you're just so diverse. And I said, that's exactly right. We've had different seasons in our life that I've got to do different things. When I, when I was growing up, I was a big bow hunter. I would bow hunt 30 to 40 times every season. We bow hunted every day before school, after school, everything was centered around my bow hunting. When I got into my career path, 
Unfortunately, some things changed dramatically. You know, but by the time that I was in my late 20s and the Lord was starting to call me toward a different type of a ministry, I was averaging over 90 hours a week. How much family are you going to work in there? How much of the hunting? The hunting definitely took the back seat. And my wife came to me one, one time after we had gone through, we had just taken over an operation where there was a huge accident and that we were rebuilding this operation. And Margie came and she said, I know you're shot. I know you're exhausted. But she said, why don't you set up a hunt? And I never did any of these exotic things or anything like that. But she said, you know, it'll give you something to look forward to. And I did. I went back through my, high school, my, my uh, early days and I cut out a picture of a grizzly bear. And I cut out this grizzly bear and I taped it on the inside of my hard hat. And I taped right next to the picture of my family. And every day when I got up and it got tough, I'd look at that hard hat. And I would say, you know what, it might be two years before, I'm gonna, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to eventually get to be able to accomplish this. And it did. We worked toward it. And then I got my bear. And uh, different, another story, we could definitely spend the rest of the evening on that because that was a nasty charge. But it was pretty cool. But we got through it, and it meant something because it was a trophy that's something that I put up there on the mantle that I worked toward. And, and what we started doing personally from that side on my hunting side was Every year I had a fund that I would save money and maybe every fourth year I would go on the next hunt and, 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 and maybe it was an expensive hunt every fourth year and the, the second and the third year it was a, a, ch- a cheaper hunt within where we were at because I didn't have the time. I just didn't have the time to be able to go out and to do that like I used to. Because in the, in the whole balance concept, I had a spiritual responsibility. I had a family responsibility, which was the wife and the children. I also had a ministry responsibility as a sower. What was I responsible for the gifts that God had given me to be able to sow back into the kingdom? I also had a career responsibility, what I considered a security builder. I felt like my job was to go out and to be able to help build security for families. And I got a chance to build a platform there. And as Cody mentioned in, in, the, in the intro, the Lord led us to write a, a book series called the Integrity Series, called Building Integrity. And I've got some books in the back if it's something that you might be interested in, that if, if you're in the development of, of your, your, your company that you might be interested in. Because what God said was, he told me, as every business principle came from a biblical principle. So I started taking that and I started infusing that into how I rebuilt companies. And then, and then the last one is the hobby or the achievement side. My attitude was, all the time, I'm going to be progressing on all five of those areas. Different seasons in my life, you could spend more time on one or the other. Now that I'm supposed to be retired, it should be a lot of number five, the hobby. But it doesn't seem to work that way, but that's, that's fine. I've tried this retirement thing three times, and it's not working. I'm failing miserably. So i got to figure out where God has for me next. I don't think he's done with me. I don't think he's put me out to the pasture yet. But I'm very much of a piece to know that I am going to continually look and make sure that I've got a goal in all five of those areas. I see too many people, friends of mine, that look back at their career and they say, man, I lost my family for my career. I lost this, I lost that, I traded this, I traded that, I didn't have time. And I'm going to reverse it and I'm going to throw back on each one of us. When somebody tells me they don't have time, I don't buy that. You have time. It's just where you decide to put your time. It's decide how you decide to use your time. So I'm going to encourage you, invest your time. So forward. Aim high, believe in integrity, build something out of your life, even though you can't necessarily envision your trophy room, how it's going to end out, because I sure couldn't. 
If you would have showed, you, showed me the pictures I'm going to show you in just a minute of my trophy room 30 years ago, I would have said, there's no way. I'm in a career path. There's no way I'm going to get the time to do that. But somehow the Lord helped me utilize all the minutes that I had to build a spiritual side, to build a family side. We, we homeschooled all six of our children. I've got a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a pastor, and two stay-at-home moms, and every one of them is as important as, each, as each one. There's not one more important, because each one of them are different. We attacked each one of our kids as an individual project. That It was our job was to, to, to bring them up and to steward them to be what, what God could use in their lives. As a ministry, as a sower, and career, we talked a little bit about it. Like I said, I need to stay away from that or we'll get lost in time. Um, but I've got a chance to hire over 7,000 people through my career. And I'm proud that the Lord has been able to use me as a platform. I'm not proud of me. I'm proud that the Lord has gave me that opportunity to be an influence there. But I really want to encourage you to look at it as where's your passion? Because as I've been built in a certain way, and I put together my trophy room in a certain way. He has the same plan for you through different talents. Okay, the next. So I've got a couple pictures of, of some of the trophy room. So that's, that's one end of it. Okay, the next, next one. Then that's the African end. Then there's the end, another part. And then I think there's one or two more pictures. There's another. So there's 77 different trophies in the room. I have people ask me all the time, what was the, what was the wildest one? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just use the lion. I've had 12 charges, and people always say, why would you? My, my wife is my biggest critic. So I'll, she said, why would you choose a vacation where something is going to chase you? <laughs> I don't know. But I do. I keep repeating the same mistake. Um, and what got me on this lion was, was when I look at what makes a successful hunt, one of the things that makes a successful hunt is a strong strategy. You have to know your enemy. So what I did is I studied the lion. I studied and I, to understand what this, was, what this hunt was going to be like, to understand what this quarry is going to be like. When you whitetail hunt, what you do is you study, you study that animal. You understand where their strengths are. If you turkey hunt, you don't wear hunter's orange, do you? Because it doesn't match what the turkey's strength is. If you're whitetail hunting, if you're elk hunting, whatever you're going to hunt, you hunt it in a different manner. Well, it's the same thing with the lion. You hunt a male lion compared to a female lion, you hunt in a different way. Why would you do that? Because the personality is different. The male lion, he, he is the top of the food chain. And he is arrogant enough. And as a hunter, I'm going to play on that arrogancy. He's going to get himself in trouble faster because of that arrogancy. So as a hunter, I'm going to learn that. I'm going to learn what that weakness is. Now, to make complicate matters out, I had this envision, I'm going to take my lion with a bow. Now... There's people that would say that wasn't very intelligent. And through my hunt, I'd probably say they were right. It was wild. It was great. It was a great story. It was a huge adrenaline rush, and you can see who won. But there was, there was some almost scars getting there. But as we laid the strategy out for this hunt, because I knew that to get a good archery shot on a, on a male, big, full male lion, it was going to be an eye contact. 
Pastor, he was going to know I was there. It wasn't I was ambushing him from the side. That wasn't happening. You don't get inside of 40 yards on a lion, on a 500-pound lion, with him not knowing you're there. He knows you're there. You've just got, you better learn what his, what his clues are. And what the lion's clue is, he's going to later, he's going to be looking at you. You're looking square at him. And that guy told me this. He said, okay, Mark, here's how it's going to go. 98% of my hunters fall apart mentally. You can tell me how good you are in a tough situation, and I understand, and, you know, I, I actually even read your book. He said, so I know that you're really intense. But he said, the fact of it is, when it comes down to it, and you got 500 pounds just ready to pounce on you, coming straight at you, how are you going to handle it? And I said, I'm focused. That's just who I, I got a lot of faults. Obviously, CrossFit's not one of my issues. <laughs> That's not what I'm going to count on. But I'm going to count on I am going to be focused. And when I'm looking at that cat with my bow, with a Matthews bow in my hand, and I'm looking at him, and I'm squared straight at him, and he's 40 yards, and the guide says this, we're going to get into about 40 yards, and his temperament is going to totally change. He's going to crouch, he's going to go down, and his tail's going to go straight up. And he said, well, as long as that tail is not moving, we're okay. He's not coming. But as soon as that tail starts to quiver back and forth, you're going to have three to five seconds is all you're going to have. And when he comes out of that bush, here's the way it's going to work. And this, this guide was world-renowned, you know, as far as a cat hunter. He said, I've been on over 100 lions. And he said, the way it goes is this. 80% of the time, that charge is going to be a bluff charge. He's going to come from 40 yards. He's going to come all the way into about 15, and then he's going to lock up. And he's going to see what you did. And if, it, if, he gets to, if he gets inside of 20 yards, inside that little buffer zone, he's going to be watching you. And if he sees a weakness and he thinks you're going to turn, he's going to finish his charge. But if he gets to that 15-yard range and you're solid and you've got a plan and you're right there, probably he's going to back out. I said, well, wait, 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 probably. This, this little, this, you didn't give me this 100% thing. He said, probably he'll back up. We got a plan as long as you don't fall apart because he said, I'm going to be standing here on one side of you with the 500 nitro, double barrel. And he said, and then what I'm going to do, and if you watch some video hunting shows, you'll see him do this. I'm going to kneel down right next to you. I said, so what? So I can be the high guy so he can wipe me out? And he goes, no, because if I shoot, I only want to be able to miss left or right. I don't want to be able to miss up and down. He said, I'm committed to you. I will hit my knees as soon as he charges. And I'll be right there. The guy on this side of me is, is, uh, is one of the local guys, and he's got a lion spear. And you've probably heard of a lion spear. A lion spear is 10 foot long and has a big flat plate on the back of it. And as soon as, soon as we set up on this lion and we started working into him, that local guy took that lion spear, took the slabbered off the top of it, and took the bottom part and smashed it in the ground, and he laid it out at a 45-degree angle. And he said, I will guarantee you, Mr. Barkowski, that lion will not get through that spear. He said, but you got to understand, he's not going to get through it four inches from your kneecap. That's the way it's going to go. He said, are you sure that you're going to hold? Because you are the only thing that can fall apart. And I said, you can count on me. I'm going to hold. And that's what happened. We got in on that cat. The cat squared us off at 40 yards. I came up, bang, there goes the tail, just exactly like the, what the choreographer said, and the tail started flipping. 
And the guide said, go to full draw. It's fixing to happen. And I came to full draw, and that cat came out, took four big bounds, and the last bound put him right at about the 15 yards, and there was, a, there was some brush there that I didn't see. Hit the brush and deflected and caught him right on the inside of a flank, spun him, and he spun around. And then he had the decision. I mean, everything happened in a multi-millisecond here. But he hit the ground, and then he went back and got ready for a second charge. My guide was down what he promised he would be with his gun down there at low level, and this guy was here with a lion spear. I looked at the guy and said, give me the rifle, theoretics are over, <laughs> and we finished the project. <laughs> the point was that I want to make is there was a strategy, and when Satan is out there and he's a toothless lion, he's got the same strategy. You're not going to him. He's coming to you because he can't beat you. He can try to scare you. And that's what the word tells us, that a lion is a toothless out. And, and I want you to look at your challenges the same way. What type of strategy do you have that you're going to stand strong and be able to stay there? Because so much of the time in our Christian walk, we become the weak vessel. God has already made an investment in us. There's a, there's a song out now that Cain does that you know, says that, that he can't give anymore. He's given us every tool. He's given us the final chapter. He's given us so much that we have that it's up to us how we use it. Next slide. I want to, so, so when we talk about the building of the trophy room, matter of fact, from a time standpoint, let's, let's clip through a couple more here. Slides. Okay, so when I talk about strategy is important, so there was my lion. Um, that we took in, in the Kalahari. The, the next example I want to talk about was, was preparation. The next part of that is the preparation. When you go on a hunt, you prepare for the hunt. When I hunted my Marco Polo sheep, which is this one right here, in Tajikistan, it was 12,000 foot elevation. So as stupid as it sounds, and again, my, my critic will back there and tell you, I slept under, under covers in a ridiculous cocoon for about three months before I went on my hunt. Because I was trying to get my body used to low oxygen. So what we did was, was we slept in kind of a cocoon thing to reduce my oxygen. So when I hit 12,000 feet elevation, I had something left to give. And that's when I look at my hunt. That was what, one of the things that I remember from that hunt. Because it was a real, real physical issue. But I had to be prepared for that. The, the next example I want to use is, is field adjustment. Anytime on a hunt, you're going to have an adjustment when you're out in the field. You're going to have the same thing with life. We're going to work on this. We've got X project going on and something changes. So how, what type of adjustment are you in the field? I can remember one time I was in Valdez, Alaska, and, and, the, and the, the guide picks me up and drops me off on a, on a float plane, bent down on a sandbar, and he leaves, and the, the other guide comes up, gets all my paperwork, and he says, Mr. Barkasi, you don't have a goat tag. And I said, oh, well, I, I, I don't know how that got messed up. And he said, well, the outfitter must have not given you the goat tag, so we're just going to have to sit here for three days and wait until he comes back because we don't have any radios. And I said, no, uh, no, I wasn't built that way. I said, there's got to be a solution. He said, there's no solution. Chill out, man. I could see you're one of these guys that your mind never stops. I said, yeah, my mind never stops. We're going to come up with a solution. He said, you just need to understand. Just relax, chill out, just enjoy this, this vacation. And we're going to wait three days until they come over. Because he said, if you try to flag down a plane, 
Then the Coast Guard's going to come in. They're going to think somebody's hurt, and I'm going to lose my license, and da-da-da-da-da. I said, all right, there's got to be. So I'm back over there with God. God and I have a lot of real unique conversations. So I'm sitting back with God. God, you got to help me out of this one. you got to come up. i got to come up with an idea. There's got to be an idea. So I came up with I thought was a brilliant idea. They all called it ultra stupid until it worked. I came back, and I took every piece of underwear and sock that I had, and I cut it into three-inch strips. Then I went and I asked the guide for all his underwear and, and socks. It didn't go real well, but he did give me a few. So I cut and I had all these strips of three-inch white cloth. I went on the ground and I wrote out on the ground, call, a phone number, we're okay. As you can see, so that's in Valdez, Alaska. That's what's written on the ground. And there was one little tree in the middle of this basin. I climbed up in this tree with this red bandana. And for six hours, I sat in this tree flagging at every plane that came across. And the guide was, I mean, to say that he was jeering me would be an understatement. But what was neat is after six hours of sitting in a tree with this flag, this one plane came over and called Anchorage Airport and said, there's some idiot sitting out there in a hunting camp, and it says, call the phone number for ride, okay. Well, they called that number. They talked to the guy. The guy said, oh, man, I bet it was his license. He flew over, dropped it out of a little parachute, and I showed my goat the next day. And I got a Christmas card from that outfitter for the next three years. It said, Dear Mr. MacGyver, we are so proud to have had you a part of our clientele. But it's the field adjustment that made the difference on that hunt. So when I look at my trophy mountain goat on the wall, you see something different than I saw. I see it as that was something that God taught me, is no, there's a solution. Every single thing that I'm going to go through... If, I, if my heart was right and the desire was rightly done, then God's going to help me have the wisdom to handle that. And in a lot of cases, it wasn't about what trophy went on the wall. It was about the guide relationship that I had. I've got a chance to lead some really neat guys to the Lord over the years. You spend 10 days with a guy or, for example, one time I spent 17 days in a tent in Alaska that they couldn't get us out. You spend 17 days with a guy by himself that's an atheist, you get to do some serious work on that. <laughs> wasn't the way I planned it. Sure wasn't the trophy I was thinking. It never made the wall, but it made it in here. And I truly believe that each one of us can have a trophy room like that. So whether yours looks exactly like mine looks, you know, we're just following lineage, right? David had a great trophy room. David had a bear, he had a lion, or this is my version of it. When, when he had the Philistine head, or let's say shield, on the wall. He had a slingshot on the wall. Samson had his barbells and a lock of his hair. Moses had a, a snake staff, and I think Moses was a sheep hunter, and he had sheep on the wall. So however you want to do it, each one of us have designed where the Lord has given us giftings. My question is, what are we doing with them? I want to challenge you, regardless where you're at in the season that you are in your life, take and take all five of those areas. Spiritually, where are you at? Family-wise, with your wife and your children, where are you at? Career path, where are you at? Ministry, where are you at? And then passionately seek the hobby and fit it in. Every season is going to be a different time whether it's financially or time commitment. But as I always say with integrity, that's a choice that's yours. 
your path and your accomplishments and your trophy room at the end, the world's going to look at those trophy room and they're going to say, wow, they were really successful. My greatest trophies are these guys right here. But it was also the legacy that we put in them about what was in here. You have the same thing. You have an opportunity to raise a legacy within your family. Have a mission statement. Drive it home. And then when they come back and they say, here's our mission statement, Dad. Here's our mission statement, Mom. Here's how we're raising our kids. Here's how we're sewing back. The last story I want to talk about is this one that we did in Canada. We took an operation. Cody talked about that. Five years ago, we bought an operation out of Canada that was in bankruptcy. And we walked in and and we bought this thing out of bankruptcy. It had been shut down. And, and over the next two years, the Lord blessed everything that we did. And we got a chance to hire 900 families and bring them back to work. And Canada was a socialistic country. And we love Canada. So don't walk, if you're Canadian, don't walk out of here anything negative about it. But they were raised different than we were raised. 2% of that people in that town were going to church. 2%. Less than 10% had ever been in a church before. When I talk, I usually throw a biblical scripture in every once in a while, and I might say, it's going to rain like Noah would run from. And people would have no idea what I was talking about. They couldn't relate. It wasn't that the Canadians were bad people, but northern Canada was never raised the way we were. And God told me this, Mark, I've given you an opportunity to go up there and change lives, but I want them to see a light inside of you. He didn't care about the profit margin, but he sent me there to be a light in a way of the platform he gave me to work from. So I stood in front of those people and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to build this company up. We're going to do all this. And I'm a visionary. And you can see I'm passionate. I'm speaking and all this like this. And they're going, okay, I'm not sure we buy into this guy, but this is interesting. This guy's a capitalist. We're a socialist. And I said, you know, we're going to put all that aside. We're all here for family security. And we're going to build this thing in an awesome way. These people started listening. We started to get them on board. And the Lord said, Take, continue taking it, continue taking it. So we said, okay, we're going to support an orphanage in Bolivia. And, and with that orphanage in Bolivia, we're going to take any, any donation somebody wants to give, and we're going to send it down there to help them, these kids. Because we believe that the Lord has blessed us, and he's going to give us an avenue to bless back. I'm, I'm looking at I'm, I mean, I'm seeing 900 people that don't have the faintest idea what I'm talking about good people, but they've just never, that's just never approach has ever been laid out to them. So I said, we're going to have an anonymous collection, every single paycheck. And at the end of the month, when I get with you and we're going to meet together every month and we'll talk about where it was at. And Margie and I had already prayed and we decided we were going to put $3,000 check in that first month. So at the end of the first month, we put a $3,000 check in to the, to the accountants and I got a chance to stand in front of the employees, and I said, unbelievable. The Lord is really doing neat things in hearts. We had $3,000 come in and an anonymous gift to the orphanage. People are looking around like, wow, really? Well, the next month, it was $3,005.38. And the next month, and every month, it was just little bit by little bit by little bit. The neat of the story was after a year, we were no longer putting in any money, and that number was about $8,000 a month from a bunch of non-Christian humanitarians that bought in to whatever this guy was telling them. What was really neat is the Lord said, okay, I got you there. We're taking this to the next step. So we, Margie and I, decided we're going to buy the plane fare for any, any employee that wants to go down to work at this orphanage. 
So we took 40 employees and we put $40,000 of our money and we bought 40 plane tickets and we sent 40 employees down to Bolivia to work at this orphanage for a week to help them build some facilities. And then I called down to the orphanage, being the planner, and I said, look, I'm sending 40 non-Christians down there. Can you teach your kids how to pray for them? It was a crash. It was the most unbelievable crash that you've ever seen. Because when those people came back after that week, every one of them was bald. And they said, I don't know what happened. This was the most unbelievable thing. People that didn't even know us loved us like we've never, we, like we knew them our whole lives. And I still talk to people up in that little town in Canada, and they said, that town has never been the same. And after that, there's another town called Ontario and one called Montreal. And there was, there was, um, there was dentists over in those that started the same thing. So that little thing that we did by stepping out to say, you know, God gave us a platform area, and I'm going to build a trophy out of that. And I'm going to ask you to look at your life and the people that you can influence because I can't touch. The best thing I can do is to hopefully infect a challenge inside of you that you see God has given you a talent to be able to take out into each of your byways. Be proud of that because he saw you investable enough to give his son and he's saw you investable enough to give you talent, and he's given you opportunities, and I think he will continue to give you opportunities. So with that, I want to close, but I want to close with, I want to read just this, this little, little thing I've got up in my office, and then I just want to end in a prayer. And this, and this says, the essence of destiny, watch your thoughts, for they become words. Choose your words, for they become actions. Understand your actions, for they become habits. Study your habits, for they will become your character. Develop your character, for it becomes your destiny. Each one of us has the ability to be able to infect and affect other people. Whether it's pay it forwards, whether it's the goals that we set, whether it's through, through any of the challenges that we have in front of us, my prayer is, is that everybody in here realizes how unique you are. God made you in his image. And he blessed you to be able to carry that light out. So if we could bow our heads, I'd like just to end us in a prayer, and it's just a personal prayer between you and your Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together tonight. We thank you for some of the stories, for some of the challenges you've given each one of us. But we thank you right now, the fact that your son gave his life. That we can look at this and we can say this prayer together. That we can, each one of us, as you instill the wisdom as you instill the bravery, as you instill the courage for each one of us to go out and to tell people in our own way about you and what you mean. Dear Heavenly Father, we right now come before you and ask that you'd give us these strengths. We see you as, as our Lord. We see you as our God. We see you as our friend and as our director. Give us the wisdom, Father, as we walk forward, be able to cast the light in our lives that you've been to us, to others. Help us to realize that it's your strengths. It's your quiet times when we're on that mountain. It's your times that we're trying to figure out what the next move is going to be. It's that perseverance. It's that adjustment in the field. It's that strategy. It's where we need you to become real in our lives. We thank you, Father, for our families. We thank you for our ministries. We thank you for our hobbies. We thank you for our career. And we thank you for our relationship with you. And in each way, each one of us, individually, each way, that you would just touch us all. 
to help us to become stronger in all those areas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll have, I'll have these books at the back. My wife says I'm the worst Bible salesman in the world. Um, I've got $15 in each one of them. So if you want to make a donation, if you want one, that's great. If you don't, no problem too. They, they're all a little bit different. The first two are very, very strong business oriented. Um, you can look at them. The middle one was called Inspirational Integrity. I wrote from a managerial standpoint on what values we need to carry as, as leaders. If, if we're trying to get people to follow into a passion along that line. So we'll have them on the back table if anybody's interested in them. If not, that's cool too. Thank you, Mark. I uh, just wanted to say, if, um, if you made a decision tonight uh, following along with that prayer, or if you want any information uh, about the church, there's these clips on the back of the seats. You can take a picture of that, and it'll send you to a link with more information um, on that. Also, there's, there's one thing I did want to say, um, a, a trophy that he didn't talk about that I figured um, I'd shed a little bit of light on. So this one time we were uh, salmon fishing off the coast of um, California, and it was a charter boat, and it was one of those boats where you're, you're shoulder to shoulder. This is warped. He's not going to tell it the right way. <laughs> so it's shoulder to shoulder around this boat, and we happened to be in the back of the boat by the engine. And it was about halfway through the, um, the charter, and I had just, I had just caught the first fish of the boat, so we knew we were on a school. And really soon after that, Dad starts getting a bite, and he, get, and he gets real excited. And as you've seen, he's very passionate. He gets very excited. You know, so the whole boat starts tuning in. I, I'm getting a bite. I'm getting a bite. About that time, his rod doubles over. And for about 15 seconds, he's in the fight of his life. The rod is in the water. You know, he's sweating. He's grunting until it snaps and he stumbles back and as he's sitting on his butt thinking what in the world just happened that's when we realize he caught a mercury engine <laughs> so dad i figured i'd illustrate you know i think we get, need to get this mounted and put on his wall 